Ignite your curiosity with Austin next. We're watching Austin transform from a thriving ecosystem into a global superstar. With our host, Jason Scharf, we aspire to better comprehend the true nature of innovation. Together, we will uncover what makes a successful ecosystem and navigate the technologies shaping our future. Now let's dive into what's next. Robert Campbell III is a visionary senior business leader with a track record of building successful businesses while advising corporate and government leaders on management and policy issues. He is a management consultant, corporate board member, nonprofit board member, private equity advisor, and active angel investor. Bob is the founder and CEO of Campbell Global Services, through which he advises business leaders on strategy, management, marketing, and branding. He was previously a principal with Deloitte Consulting for 39 years, where he served as vice chairman and U.S. public sector leader for Deloitte LLP. Bob is currently on multiple boards, including Global Leaders Organization, Access Healthcare, Robbins Goya, Midas Healthcare Solutions, Tractus Resilient, and T3. He's also on the advisory committee of IATA, Detroit Aircraft Corporation, Bridge, EBW Distributors, Energy Partners Vietnam, Medical Innovation Labs, Data.World, OHD, and LockR. Bob is a former chairman and current advisory board member at UT's LBJ School of Public Affairs, a former board executive committee chair of the East-West Institute, member of the University of Texas Chancellor's Executive Committee, and a board member of Texas 2036, the Austin 100, and the Center for the Study of Race and Democracy. Bob, welcome to Austin Next. Great, great to be with you, and thanks for all you're doing with the podcast series. Thank you very much. So one of the things that I think makes you very different than a lot of the people that we've had on is how long you've been in Austin, since 1971. What was Austin like then, and what attributes still around today from that time? Well, thanks for asking. Uh, you're correct. Uh, Laura and I, after getting married, moved here in 1971 for graduate school, um, I had the good fortune of being one of the early students at the uh, Lyndon Johnson School of Public Affairs. Austin was very different, as you would expect. Uh, it really was a small town, uh, but a small town with the state, a state capital and a big university, uh, just as an indication of how small, when we moved here, Ben White Boulevard was regarded as being far south. Highway 183 was the outer reaches of the north. That was only 50 years ago. It also was a surprisingly low-cost community. I recall in graduate school, I think I was 21, Laura was 19, we had a three-bedroom house that we paid $125 a month to rent. And wow. again, that was Austin of 1971. There were attributes then that I believe are very much visible and evident today as well. It was a very friendly and welcoming community. It was a community that had strong and positive relationships between education leadership, state leadership, and local business leadership. 
there seemed to be a strong spirit of cooperation and collaboration, an interest in being mutually supportive, uh, helping pe- people to be successful, which led to uh, exceptional opportunities for many of the young people moved who moved here to go to school at the university who, in many, many cases, elected to stay here. Um, I'm just a couple of examples. As a graduate student, I had the opportunity to actually be the legislative assistant to a state representative while in graduate school, given the focus of the LBJ school on involvement in real practical public policy issues. I actually served as the special assistant to the head of a state agency and I'm just not so sure in many other environments that level of opportunity for a young person still in school would have existed. I want to pull on that string about UT for a minute. Obviously, yes, you came here, you started at the LBJ school and the graduate program there. You, later on, you became the, the chairman of the board. Clearly, UT has had a big impact on Austin. How do you see that has changed over these five decades, and and the school has grown, Austin has grown. How's that worked out? Good question. Um, I certainly have seen the level of investment in research and development expand very significantly over the years. Can would certainly suggest that some of the early watershed events in Austin establishing a uh, foothold in technology emanated from the attraction of the university research environment to some major technology ventures um, looking for a home. I certainly think that the uh, technology collaboration, which Admiral Bobby Inman had chaired and led the selection committee for, which chose Austin, I believe, back in the 80s. We're talking about Semitech and MCC? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that it, it, it was the um, university's research capability. It was the university as a source of talent that had a lot to do with those seeding initiatives that had a lot to do with what Austin is today in technology. I think from a public policy point of view, there's been a strong connection between issues facing the state, issues facing the public, and commitment of the university and certainly of the LBJ school, which we talked about earlier, to engage and try to make a uh, meaningful uh, data-driven difference in uh, addressing some of the more daunting uh, challenges facing the state. You were there, you you went, you came out of the university and joined, what I'll say, this, the predecessor to Deloitte Consulting way back when. One of the things that we talked about a long time ago was how people in the university, like George Kosminski, worked with the big service providers here, the Deloittes, the big law firms, and helping them to get involved in the startup community by taking red money, equity, as opposed to pure fees. 
How did that work out, and, and how has your experience at Deloitte in Austin been? Well, just by way of background, uh, not to uh, dodge the question this frame, but when I had the opportunity to join Touche Ross & Company, which was the predecessor firm uh, that uh, merged with Deloitte Haskins & Sells to form Deloitte, it was in Washington, D.C., we moved to Washington, D.C. right out of graduate school, and uh, I was on the consulting staff there for over four years, had the opportunity to be involved in a number of significant national issues during that period, and it was not until the latter part of the 1970s that I was approached to consider moving back to Texas to opened the consulting practice here in Austin, which Laura and I eagerly, <laughs> eagerly did. I would say in the early years of building that practice, the focus, I think, properly given the nature of the market locally was on serving the state, serving the high-priority needs of the state, and... Uh, obviously over time has um, brought broadened into all major in industry sectors. But uh, much of my professional career with Deloitte was in leadership roles with regards to the uh, public sector industry practice of Deloitte. Um, for a number of years led the Firm services to the states played an active role in the founding and building of Deloitte's federal consultancy. But as a function of that, and as I said, not to dodge the question, I was spending significant swaths of my time on airplanes out of Austin to other markets. And uh, uh, I would say it was really not until I uh, hit the firm's partner retirement age that I started to get off airplanes more so and really focused in on all that was going on local. And uh, I don't want to make light of that. I certainly was involved in various local initiatives, but... Uh, well, having lived on an airplane for a couple of years myself, I know the bloom wears off that rose very quickly. <laughs> Texas has some things that make it unique. One of those is a very part-time legislature. Now, clearly the staff offices are full-time, you know, 24 months out of the two-year cycle we have. But either in that last period at Deloitte or, or after you, uh, you got off the airplane, so to speak, and put your feet back on the ground here. What, in your perspective, from a, from a governmental and regulatory point of view, makes Texas unique? What makes it different because clearly, there are just so many things that are happening here that I just don't think could happen without that regulatory and that governmental environment. Great question. Um, and be before we're done, we should talk about Texas 2036, a major business-led uh, strategy development, strategy planning initiative that is afoot today that I have the good fortune of being part of. I think on on your question, uh, 
there are probably several contributing factors to what makes Texas different in relationship to many other states and arguably why Texas and Austin seems to be such a magnet for talent from elsewhere in the country. Um, Certainly, there is a close historical relationship and access and collaboration between business leadership and government leadership in the state and a strong cooperation on issues that matter to the citizen. I mean, given politics, there's certainly exceptions from time to time, but I believe that that would be uh, differentiated. I think there is certainly a strong, long-standing commitment to uh, higher education, to supporting, not only supporting higher education, but supporting higher education with the workforce needs of the future, which again connects the mission of government to the objectives and needs of business leadership in the state. I believe that uh, there is a strong commitment to a an efficient, uh, cost-conscious government, which, among other considerations, has allowed uh, the state not to have a uh, personal income tax, which, uh, again, is a differentiator in relationship to a number of other states. And uh, I think uh, maybe final thought on your question, uh, I think um, there's been a vision of some of our early state founders to making a long-term commitment to education, to educational excellence, out uh, taking advantage of the uh, energy resources that the state had the good fortune of having, something that I've only seen in one or two other states um, the uh, leaders of the state back in the, uh, I guess, the late 1800s created permanent funds built up out of uh, primarily oil and gas royalty and revenue, committed to uh, primary and secondary education, committed to higher education, uh, one being the Texas Permanent School Fund, the other being the Texas Permanent University Fund, which are permanent assets. The corpus is not touched, but the earnings go into primary and secondary education through grants to the school districts, go to the permanent university fund whose earnings are distributed two-thirds to University of Texas, one-third to Texas A&M. And that's a, that's a permanent legacy and something that Again, other than perhaps the severance tax fund in New Mexico, I haven't seen any other state have the vision to make that sort of long-term commitment. It's funny because the only thing I've seen that's even close to that is on the Beverly Hills High School campus, there's an oil well. (laughs) 
And it's been producing oil as long as I've been around and who knows how much longer, but that funds the school district Hmm. in addition to their other tax revenue and the like. So yes, they have that permanent legacy fund coming up out of the ground of all places in Beverly Hills. So I suspect I may be missing a couple of other differentiators, but we can come back to that. Yeah. So... You retired from Deloitte in 2012. As you said, you got off the plane. What did you find at Austin that time? How did you start to re-engage? As you said, that's really kind of when you started being more into the ecosystem, what's going on here. Sure. Um, I guess at the time I did retire from Deloitte, an extraordinary firm and just extraordinary experience, uh, I knew that I had no interest in actually retiring (laughs) and that I needed to take a little time to plan the next phase of my career, which uh, did in the uh, remaining part of 2012 as I was looking at the local market, looking at opportunities. I guess I I found that the... um, timing of my retirement and refocusing here was fortuitous in that uh, during that period, Austin had really taken off in a significant way relative to um, startup activities, movement of venture capital, in, uh, and, and a broader commitment to entrepreneurship and innovation. Um, I guess I uh, fairly soon, with good support of Deloitte, created uh, my own consultancy and have had the good fortune of establishing advisory relationships with a number of CEOs, in many cases, younger founder CEOs, which has just been a delightful experience. Um, I saw the opportunity to get involved in angel investing, which I really... I would say I was rather oblivious to both the startup and middle market during my close to 40 years, but uh, had a uh, pleasant revelation with regards to the extraordinary opportunities in the startup world and moved into fairly active angel investing, which which we are still doing now uh, 10 years later. And over time had the... um, good fortune of being asked to serve on a number of corporate boards, in many cases, well, in all cases, privately held board boards, and in many cases, relatively earlier stage boards, and uh, that afforded the opportunity to work with uh, extraordinary business leaders locally, uh, opportunity to learn new things. And, uh, and the opportunity to take advantage of my prior experience to hopefully uh, be a source of counsel and insights to the uh, companies whose boards I had the good fortune of joining. I want to say I want to dive into that insights a little bit because I know some of the boards in, that you're involved in are more institution-focused and broader thinking. And so I think it's a perfect time to kind of circle back to you said, you know, Texas 2036. So you know, I know you were involved in the, the founding and served on the board. What is it and really what does it mean for Austin? Sure. Thanks for asking. Um, Texas 2036 is a 
nonprofit, several years old now, focused on understanding and addressing a number of longer-term issues that will be important to the future of the state, important to future generations of Texas. It was um, founded by extraordinary Texas business leader Tom Luce. It has strong backing from a number of very prominent Texas business leaders and is committed to taking very much a fact-driven, data-driven approach to policy analysis, planning, and uh, legislative analysis. We have, I I was involved with Tom, uh, had the good fortune of being involved with Tom very early on. We formed, I believe now, a 33 million member board, um, I guess one board member for each million population that Texas will be in 2036. We brought in leading consultancies to help us with the analysis. Boston Consulting Group did some uh, wonderful data analysis. And we had the wonderful good fortune of being able to retain Margaret Spellings, a former secretary of the U.S. Department of Education, as our CEO. Sure enough, the data analysis did strongly indicate some longer-term opportunities related to education performance, health care outcomes, workforce development, infrastructure and government performance, and much of our efforts has have focused on really laying the foundation for long-term initiatives to properly address those areas. Uh, the 2036 title is, I guess, a cute one for those not from Texas. That is the 200th anniversary of Texas securing its independence from Mexico and becoming an independent republic, but is also was also defined out of the recognition that it's going to take 10 or 15 years to properly steer the battleship to address a number of these longer-term issues. Um, we have been through our first legislative session. Um, we're very pleased with the number of bills, I believe it numbers in the 40s, that we played an active role in, which not only passed, but passed with strong bipartisan support. And uh, we're continuing down the path, but uh, extraordinary organization. I have seen nothing like it in any other state, and many other states are coming to us uh, seeking guidance on how we are doing what we're doing and how some of the analytical approaches might uh, benefit from that. Something I find interesting, we we had an episode with Roland Pena from the, the Austin Chamber of Commerce, and it reminds me, when I look at 2036 and all the data and the data that's being publicly available and looking, and the same thing, Austin, uh, the Austin Chamber created a dashboard with all of the innovation statistics. There does seem to be a very data-driven and transparent culture here. Like we want, we want to go in, we want to look at, you know, the sabermetrics of government almost <laughs> looking at that data, but then showing it and then actually sharing it, right? We want to be able to have everyone see kind of this openness and this culture, see like, this is how we're doing, whether it's good, bad, or the other. 
If, if you go to our website, texas2036.org, you'll see it is very transparent. Data is very accessible relative to Austin, Travis County, or any other community in the state. You can take the analytics down to that level, and uh, you can also look at some the legislative agenda relative to the uh, positive impacts that will really be driven down down to a down to a local level. And uh, I guess as one of the uh, f- founding board members, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm honored to be uh, to be part of it. Clearly, one of the things that is happening and will affect Texas in the long term is the change in demographics. We are seeing smaller families. We're seeing more immigration, legal and illegal. Uh, We're seeing more in-migration from other states. Is there a point where Texas has to say no more? Or is it just an unlimited, please come and continue to build with us? I'm not sure I've been asked that question (laughs) that way before, nor that uh, our analytics has addressed planning in that regard. I mean, my my gut would be that it is not evident to me why there would be a need to uh, constrain growth. Um, I mean, we're a big state geographic state geographically. We're a diverse state already. I think we're a comparatively um, both wealthy and high economically performing state. Uh, Recognize certainly there are opportunities and uh, needs to continue to address um, the needs of uh, segments of the population. Uh, But I think... uh, the economic growth that we're experiencing creates significant uh, workforce challenges. And I think I'd probably say the same thing about the country as a whole, but I think uh, immigration is at least one of the sources of uh, talent for the workforce of the future, in my view. And I didn't mean to put you on the spot in terms of asking the question maybe negatively, because I do think that given the, the gifts that we have in Texas, that whatever that number is that's enough, it's way, it's a it's hundred years in the future, if ever. One of the things, and you talked about the geographic size of Texas, is this state has, we call it the Texas Triangle, right? We have the Dallas and Fort Worth Metroplex, we have Houston, and we have Austin and San Antonio, whatever we end up doing to become one or staying at two, it, it, it's okay. But I haven't seen the level of cooperation between these areas in any other place. I don't see it on the East Coast. I certainly didn't see it in California. When you look at the long-term challenges that Texas is going to have, as well as the long-term benefits... Is the Texas Triangle key to that? Is it going to be based upon this growth in very different but very large megaplexes? Certainly, in my view, um, the preponderance of what we are today as a state resides in the Triangle. And I think some of the more significant, at least, um, closer in growth is there. It It's interesting, as I think uh, 
you understand in the time you've been here, uh, each of the markets you cite, it has some rather unique differentiating features. But as you also cite it, there does seem to be generally a level of uh, collaboration and mutually mutual support that I mean, there's some healthy competition, but it doesn't get in the way of mutual support as well. And competition's always a good thing, you know, but the support's there. You're right. I'm not sure how far into the future can anticipate, but certainly over the lifespan of planning horizon of Texas 2036, I think the preponderance of the um, growth, the preponderance of the population, and I, I would suggest likely the preponderance of the additional significant enterprises that will grow out of startup activity will reside within the triangle. So Texas 2036 has you look into the future. The triangle is is booming. Austin is booming. Bob, we always like to end with the same question. What's next, Austin? Good. Thank you. Um, and this has been great. Uh, I have been astounded in recent times recent times, just the last two or three years, with the extraordinary magnet that Austin has become for talent. I am, I have the good fortune of meeting virtually every week two or three exceptional um, entrepreneurs, company founders, venture capitalists, high net worth individuals who have started out somewhere else, in many cases made their mark somewhere else, and have decided for either their own personal objectives or for the objectives of their business that Austin is where they want to be. And the foreknowledge and impact of that makes me very confident about Austin's ability not only to continue to be a hotbed, if not the hotbed nationally of entrepreneurship and innovation, but for the level of startup activity to likely expand and grow in spite of what's going on in capital markets in the short term. And um, other, I suppose, than Palo Alto, I don't see anything like this happening anywhere else in the country at this scale. And uh, again, at least looking over the balance of my professional career, I can't imagine that this will not be an extraordinary place to be, an extraordinary place to do business. And uh, I'm very bullish on the future. Bob Campbell, thanks for joining the Austin X podcast. Thank you. Enjoyed it. So what's next, Austin? We're glad you've joined us on this journey. Please subscribe at your favorite podcast catcher, leave us a review, and let your colleagues know about us. This will help us grow the podcast and continue bringing you unique interviews and insights. Thanks again for listening and see you soon.